Hi there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 478 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are back in your feed. I think this is like the third or fourth time this week. (laughs) Busy time for the Blue Devils. Busy times for the DBR podcast crew. I am Jason Evans. I'm your host. Our primary mission um, on this podcast is to preview a very, very big game against the Clemson Tigers, the only undefeated team left in the ACC. Duke will be visiting them on Saturday. I will be in attendance. Uh, Joining me, though, as we discuss Clemson, are both my compadres, my partners in crime, Sam Klein and Donald Wine. Sam, how are you doing today? Jason, I thought you were going to say that our primary objective today is to distinguish between Chase Hunter, Hunter Tyson, and P.J. Hall of Clemson. (laughs) They're different players. They are. They're different players. uh, P.J. Hall and Hunter Tyson are, are very similar, but... But but they are physically different human beings. So yes, this is true. This is very true. You're you're getting ahead of the game, Sam. Because remember, when sorry, we come, sorry. I, we come to the preview. I, I was wait. supposed to say. I was supposed to say. Uh, I'm doing great, and I just talked to you like a few hours ago. I guess so. Uh, <laughs> most things in my life have not changed. Yeah, this is true. This is true. Yeah, it's only been uh, about 15 hours, 15, Ish, 16 something hours, like something that. like that. I Since still. Yeah, I, I still haven't watched the pit game. I have not <laughs> have not had an opportunity to watch the pit game. I did appreciate that uh, we got an email from the K man today that he liked uh, he liked our version of of me recapping the game without watching it and just looking at the stats. And uh, so I, I I might try it again. Maybe I won't tell everyone when I've done so, but <laughs> um, I do intend I do intend to watch the game. I just between late last night and this morning when I like went to work. I have not had a chance to watch the game. So maybe I'll do that tonight while I'm editing this show. Donald wine is also with us uh, today. Donald, how's your life changed in the past 15 hours? (laughs) Um, I've done a lot in the last 15 hours, mainly. I mean, I, I didn't go to sleep until like two that game and talking about with you guys. You know, we did it so late and then I edited the show to get it out. And, you know, so people could have it this morning. And then I was just kind of up till two because it was, Kind of one of those games where, you know, you were energized by the win. And now I'm looking forward to this game on Saturday, which is a really big matchup. We thought we thought the pit game was was an important one. This is a very important one. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, let's get right to it. We're playing Clemson in Clemson at Little John. Uh, This is a a very, a very good Clemson team. I'm going to take a little props for myself. Folks, if you go back in the feed to when the ACC schedule was announced, I want to say it was September, something like that. Donald, you and I did a podcast together and we were talking about, you know, oh, who's going to be good in the ACC and all that other kind of stuff. We didn't really talk about Clemson very much until I said, I've looked at the schedule. Clemson has an absurdly easy ACC schedule. Now, this is when I thought Florida State was going to be good. I didn't realize how bad Louisville would be. I didn't know Pitt would be as good, you know, but anyway, regardless, I looked at it and I was like, I think this Clemson team is going to be undefeated in the ACC when we play them. And there, I said, there's even a chance they could be undefeated overall. They, they aren't. They've lost. They lost some games early that they probably shouldn't have lost. But I picked this Clemson team as a team that was going to rise up from the middle to threaten the top half of the conference. I thought that was because their schedule was easy. It turns out that's actually because they're way better than I expected them to be. But I'm going to take those props for a moment. Donald, you are the guy. When we do our previews, you are tasked with telling us what the team has done on the season. Tell me about the Clemson Tigers so far. Yeah, well, like you said, they've had a, a terrific season so far. They're 14 and three. They're six and zero in the ACC, which is 
leading the conference. They're the only team right now that is undefeated in the conference thus far. They're ranked 56th in Kempom, but if you think about you know how they've been playing, they have some really great wins. I mean, some of their big wins this so far this year, they've won against Penn State, they won against Wake Forest, NC State, Virginia Tech, Pitt, and Richmond. Their only losses that they have so far, South Carolina away, and Iowa and Loyola of Chicago, both of those run neutral court. So they are undefeated at home. Jason, where is this game on Saturday? It's in Little John Coliseum. So that already, you know, the confidence for them is especially high uh, when it comes to this game because of the fact that they are at home. Little John, randomly, you know, Ken Palm, obviously all of you out there know that uh, we love Ken Palm and his stats. But one of the things that he does rate is the home court advantage. And Little John is rated in Ken Palm as the 27th best home court advantage so far this season in Division One. We already knew that because we've gone into Little John many, many times and struggled mightily against Clemson, against weaker teams in this one. So uh, hopefully this team is ready to take on what is, again, is going to be a big crowd. They're going to be amped for this game. It's a Saturday afternoon game. You know, even I mean, Jason's going to be able to make the trip up from Atlanta to see this game. So you know it's big. And it's going to be one of these atmospheres that we've, you know, they've been talking about all week. How do they fight through that? How do they bring that energy uh, from Cameron on the road? Because Little John is going to be bursting at the seams with energy. This is going to be a game where might is going to win the day. Who's going to want these loose balls? Who's going to want that rebound? Who's going to, you know, want to drive the lane and and, and get to the foul line or or make the, the the bucket? Who wants the pressure? Who wants to absorb that pressure? This is going to be a big test for our team. I can't wait to see it. Donald, I'm looking at their schedule as well, and I want to ask you seriously, what's the best win that Clemson has on their schedule today? Because as you noted, they lost to Iowa. Iowa's Mm -hmm. like maybe the best team that they've played so far. Um, NC State is also rated well. Uh, Penn State, they played to, to double overtime. Other than that, maybe maybe Virginia Tech. Like we think the now game at the game is, at I think the game at Virginia Tech is their best win. So th- th- this is where I'm. What I admire about Clemson, I think, to this point in the season, is that they have prevailed mostly in their competitive games. They lost to South Carolina, which is not not a good outcome. Uh, they lost to Loyola oh, Chicago. Kentu- wait, wait. Kentucky can talk about playing South Carolina. <laughs> Kentucky's not making the NCAA tournament. Clemson is right. trying to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, unfortunately for, for Kentucky, they are in different leagues right now. Uh, they lost to Loyola Chicago. They got crushed by Loyola Chicago, who is not the Loyola Chicago of the Porter Moser era. No. So right. I think you can actually look at Clemson's schedule. I, I don't know if this, I remember what the year was when Clemson was like the last undefeated team. They were like 17 and 0, and then they missed the NCAA tournament. I don't think the fall off Mm -hmm. is going to be that dramatic here, but I do wonder how much of this, like their their advanced metrics don't say that they're one of the best teams, but their outcomes do. And I'm curious sort of how that continues to to play for them, not just against Duke, but the rest of the way, because when we'll talk about the the players for Clemson, they do have some outstanding players. They have and and the coaching has gotten a lot better there in Clemson. And it and and a lot of these players have been playing together for a long time. So it's a different sort of uh it's a different sort of like team and program than I think we're used to seeing the last few years. So I I, I think I agree with you in that the NC State game was probably the most complete game that they put together so far this season. That it was a 14 point win at home. 
and I think uh, NC State uh, in the Kempom standings is the best team uh, in the rankings uh, that they've beaten. And right? and by like, the way, that that might be the best like game for us to go review in depth because that game was at at Little John, and you know Duke tried to beat NC State in in Raleigh recently and failed miserably. Mm-hmm. So but, I am sure both of these teams, when they're thinking about sort of how to triangulate the the expectations for this, they're probably both looking at that game. Yeah. So while that was the most complete game, I put forth for consideration the game that probably, you know, explains what we're up against this weekend is the game that they had just under a week ago at Pitt, where they beat Pitt by one. It was a matchup between, at that time, the top two teams in the ACC standings. They go on the road to Pitt. They squeak out a one-point win. But watching that game, they had a toughness about them. Again, we just just met a tough team in Pitt last night, right? And that toughness was matched in Cameron. But Clemson went on the road and, and, and found a way to exude some type of toughness that they were able to pull off this victory. They didn't shoot the ball that well. They didn't defend that well. But they were able to, when the chips were on the table and push came to shove, they were the ones that were doing the pushing and the shoving. And they were able to just force their way into a win. So I'm interested in seeing how that style of play, the way they played against Pitt, is going to be similar to how they bring the game to us on Saturday, I believe, because I think that they learned something from that pit game, and I think they know that we generally are susceptible to guys who kind of push us in the pushes in the face and mushes in the face. How do we respond to that on the road? We've thought we've seen what we can do at home in, in the second half of that game against Pitt last night, but how do we do it on the road at a place where we normally don't play very well? How do we play against this Clemson Tigers? I think that's the Clemson Tigers we're going to see on Saturday. All right. So Sam mentioned the advanced stats and that Clemson isn't exactly a darling of the advanced stats. I'm going to dig into that a little bit more deeply. Ken Pomeroy says they're the number 56 team in the country. But, but since December 17th, almost exactly a month ago, they've, they've, they're six and oh in the past month. And if you, Use Bart Torvik's, you know, date sorting thing. Since December 17th, they're the number 13 team in the nation. 13th best in the country. And it is worth noting that in that same time period, Duke is 123rd. Ouch. Not good. Not good at all. Um, This Clemson team in conference play is number three on offense and number one on defense. Uh, that, that, That sticks out to me that the best team in the entire ACC defensively so far has been the Clemson Tigers. And the thing that really jumps out to me when I was looking at their advanced stats, there's a weird rebounding situation happening with them. They're a terrible offensive rebounding team. Last in the ACC, 19% of their, uh, uh, they only rebound 19% of their misses, which is a terrible offensive rebounding number. But They're one of the best teams in the ACC, one of the best teams in the country at defensive rebounding. Close to 80%, they grab close to 80% of the defensive rebounds available. Duke's lifeblood, we saw it against Pitt, we've seen it earlier in the year, is grabbing offensive rebounds, and Clemson does not give up many offensive rebounds. So that is a place that I worry about for Duke. You know another place I worry about for Duke? The biggest weakness for the Clemson defense is something that Duke does not exploit very well. They give up a lot of three-pointers. Almost 40% of the points scored on Clemson in a given game come from the three-point line. And Duke is not a team that shoots really well from beyond the arc. 
Clemson wants to force you to take three-pointers. Jason, is this the Jaden shoot game? Oh, man, I, I I hope so. I mean, I've only been calling for it for about three weeks now. I, I think it could be a very interesting opportunity for him. I, I, I do want to mention really quickly about Clemson that one maybe one of the reasons they don't get many offensive rebounds is because they don't have to worry about it that much. They're a good shooting team. They hit better than 52% of their two-point shots. They hit a stellar 39% from three. Can you imagine that? 39%. Duke, uh, does Duke have any player? <laughs> I can I can remember Duke being that good from three. It just hasn't happened recently. Yeah. Clemson, uh, you, I mean, you might be understanding it, Jason. Clemson is one of the best three-point shoot, three shooting teams in the entire country, not just the ACC. Like, yeah. I think they're like 18th in the country in three-point shooting, so... And in their, I think their their metrics show that they don't even. It's not even like they're exploiting that by taking a ton of threes. Right, they don't. They're, shoot they're taking more twos than threes. But at the end of the day, when they shoot a three, you have to defend it because otherwise, it is going in. Missing threes also gives you uh, better opportunities for offensive rebounds. So mm-hmm. there might be some relationship between the fact that they're judicious and pretty good at shooting threes, and the fact that. Offensive rebounding is not a key part of their, you know, of their Offense, game plan. Yeah. Whereas for Duke, uh, being a bad three-point shooting team almost is like, you know, part of Duke's offense is basically like passing the ball to Ryan Young via the backboard. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way you put it that way. Uh, it, it's worth noting, by the way, that in addition to being a good shooting team, Clemson is pretty good at holding on to the ball. They don't, they don't turn the ball over a lot. They're like top thirty, top thirty-five in the country at turnovers um, in terms of their offense. Now on defense, they don't really get many turnovers either. Um, the thing they do really well on defense is they they stop you from hitting two-point shots. They like to force you to, to take a shot with a hand in your face, and their opponents only hit about 44% of their two-point field goals. So, so, you know, that's sort of where Clemson excels. I would expect this to be a fairly low-scoring, slowish kind of game. Clemson doesn't play particularly fast. They're on defense, especially they like to force things deep in the shot clock. And Duke is not a team that likes to shoot a lot. Ken Pomeroy expects the final score to be 70 to 69. He thinks Clemson wins this game by one. Sam, your turn. Tell me a little bit more about the Clemson players. Well, one more point on Clemson's defense. You mentioned that they don't uh, force a lot of turnovers. And this is another interesting aspect of this matchup with Duke, where sort of the the Clemson offense is the uh is the stoppable force and or the Clemson defense is the stoppable force and the Duke offense when it comes to turnovers is the movable object because uh Duke's been turning the ball over a ton recently this is one of the things that we talked about at length even after the pit game is that Duke is giving up turnovers in often in in sort of unforced ways bad dribbling uh you know poor offensive execution if Clemson doesn't force a lot of turnovers is that an opportunity for duke to be like all right well maybe we just won't fix the passing and we won't fix the ball handling at least for one more game because you might be able to get away with uh with the bad ball handling against the clemson team that is playing offense or is playing defense rather as you noted jason well but not exceptionally and this is one of the things that i think has been improving for them but i don't know if that's if that's like a strength yet and maybe it's something that is continuing to evolve for them. There's, as you mentioned, they're six and zero in the ACC, and and that over the last month they've been probably the best. I mean, they have been the best team in the conference. So this is still like an evolving product, which is interesting. As I transition to talking about the players, 
it's interesting that Clemson does seem to be a real work in progress because so many of their key guys are longtime Clemson players, not just experienced guys who have, you know, transferred in from Wright State or whatever. Uh, they're led by by three like experienced Clemson guys, PJ Hall, Hunter Tyson, and Chase Hunter. And I think Duke fans probably remember PJ Hall the most. He was an absolute beast against Duke last year. He's he's always played significant minutes for Clemson. He's still playing significant minutes for Clemson. He's a big guy down low. Um, he's not he's not like the tallest big man. He's only six ten, but very imposing on the boards. One of the best. You know, we said that Clemson's not the greatest offensive rebounding team. PJ Hall's a pretty good offensive rebounder. So if there's one guy that you sort of have to watch out four and and box out on defense it's pj hall i wanted to focus though on hunter tyson who's a fifth year senior he's been in the program for five years and is having like an absolutely breakout season for the tigers i think last year hall was was sort of ahead of tyson in terms of the the depth chart for the big guys tyson's more of like a combo wing forward three four type uh, but he has exploded this year uh, for Clemson. He's he's averaging both a lot more points and rebounds than he has in previous years. So he's 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 actually averaging a double double at sixteen and ten at this point in the season, and uh, is also a great three point shooter, forty four percent from three, which is dangerous for a guy that's that big. Like if if this guy was on Duke right now, everyone would be talking about. Uh, about how productive he's been on the offensive end because he's basically Mark Mitchell's size, but is a lights out three point shooter. So that those those two guys, I think, are the the key for for Duke to be locking down on the defensive end for Duke. It feels like the the defense on the wing and on the on the interior is maybe a little bit more advanced because Duke has, I think, more athletic weapons to throw at at other teams right now. There, especially if Mitchell is is keyed in on Tyson or if if Tariq Whitehead is playing really well. At the point guard spot, um, it's it's also a hunter. Chase Hunter is the is the point guard for Clemson, um, averaging four and a half assists, but also two and a half turnovers per game. So I I do wonder if Duke is able to, you know, mix things up with him, maybe speed him up a bit. You said, Jason, that Duke is not expecting to to play a fast game. This has not been Duke's style yet this season, or we don't think that's going to change. But on defense, Duke can wreak havoc on on guys who are turnover prone. So it's a in a lot of ways, it's a very interesting matchup of of styles here where uh, Clemson has been has been, you know, really, really efficient on offense, especially recently. Um, how much is Duke able to disrupt that is going to be interesting to me. But the experience, huge advantage to Clemson uh, in, in this one, because like I said, it's not just that they have guys that are old. It's that they have guys that are old that have played for Brad Brownell. Uh, It's an enormous advantage in a, in a college basketball world where this is not common anymore. I'm so glad you brought this up because when I was looking at their roster, I noted the very same thing. The only transfer on their roster is Brevin Galloway who came over from Boston college. People may remember him. He played at BC last year. He's the only transfer on their roster. He's a super senior. He's been around the ACC for a long time. And the ironic thing about Brevin Galloway is he grew up in Anderson, South Carolina, which is like 20 minutes south of Clemson. Like this is a guy who basically grew up in the shadow of Clemson, ended up uh, eventually, I think he went to like Charleston or someplace first, but eventually ended up at BC. And then when he gets his extra year, his COVID year, he comes back to Clemson, basically comes home 
Um, but yeah, this how is how do you this... grow up in South Carolina and end up at Boston College? <laughs> I, I, Sometimes hey. you got to get away from home. Yeah. To yeah. Appreciate why? going back home. Maybe I I just don't understand the, the, the process here. But like, why would you end up at Boston College? We we have to ask, you know what? Hey, if I'm in the locker room and I see Brevin Galloway, I'll ask him how that happened. Yeah, let me let me let me let me get that info from him because I am I'm fast, especially if he starts at Charleston, because he's like, all right, I'm going to school. Like, I mean, Charleston's not in Clemson, right? It's still a few hours away, but like, right. I'm going to school relatively close to home. Uh, I guess once you go to BC, you play a lot of away games in the Carolinas, so your parents can still come to see you. But man, that's a <laughs> fascinating choice. The the other crazy thing I think about the BC roster, at least in terms of like their starters, the guys who play the most, is that uh, Brevin Galloway and Ian Shifflin, or what I I can't pronounce that guy's last name, Shifflin, whatever, um, who are their two wings, are they're okay, but they're not like great three point shooters. The really good three point shooters are their power forward, Hunter Tyson, and their center, P.J. Hall. Duke's going to have to follow those guys out to the perimeter. Um, Now, look, against Pitt, we know the Duke big men did a great job of of going outside and and guarding, you know, guards on switches and stuff like that. But for Clemson, it's the big men you have to worry about on the perimeter. Is this the game where you're going to see Kyle Filipowski playing perimeter defense? Because he's he's been proven to be pretty effective out in the perimeter, but he's going to be called on quite a bit with these big men going out there. I was going to ask you, Donald, if you think that this is a game that might be good for Derek Lively's development, because not a game, I think, where he's expected to score very much. And I almost want a game like this where Lively is forced to play defense all over the court, because I think if he's given that assignment, you know, go follow PJ Hall around and make sure he doesn't take three pointers. I almost think that that would be good for for Lively just to be so focused on that. And when Duke does need offense, especially in the interior, you bring Ryan Young back in to to get those buckets. Because um, like we said, Clemson's Clemson's bigs are, are are good, but they're not the biggest guys. Ryan Young is bigger than PJ Hall, and this is the one place where Duke is actually able to match up not just uh, on on size, but also on experience against Clemson. So I do want to see Ryan Young on offense being dominant in this game, but I also want to see Derek Lively being able to flex a little bit more on defense because it might be an opportunity for him to get a little bit more comfortable. And his activeness, right? Like we know that he he can move around the court very well. He's very active uh, and he does not like he's not like a 300 pound you know, seven footer that's just going to plant himself inside the paint and just not move. He's going to be able to get out there and and do that. So that's going to be a very nice challenge for him. To, it's going to be different from what he's used to of waiting at the rim to try and swat whatever comes his way and try to alter shots. He's going to have to try and do that from the perimeter. And if he can, then again, I think a lot of their confidence is built by the fact that they can hit all these threes. And if Clemson starts missing some, maybe the momentum shifts Duke's way in that in that regard. Hey, look, I got to talk about Derek Lively's. We did not talk enough about Derek Lively's defense um, in, in this game against Pittsburgh the other day. And I know we're looking forward to Clemson, but I just want to look back really, really briefly and mention this. John Shire spoke in the post game about how at halftime he switched things up and he went from he had been playing like our bigs were sort of hedging and then recovering on on screens on the perimeter and that was allowing the Pittsburgh guards to get a little bit of space and take those those jump shots that that I think are bad shots but that they were knocking down at a phenomenal rate and Shire said at halftime he switched things up and he said we're just going to switch everything 
And our big men, if they get switched onto a guard, so what? We will live with that because we can't give those guards that space that we were giving with the hedge and recover. Well, Derek Lively was the guy who, when he got switched, just destroyed their guards. They did nothing against him. And if you look at the plus minus stats from that game, Derek Lively's plus minus is absurd. He played 12 minutes. He had a plus minus of plus 17. That's that's just a ridiculous number. That's like an off the charts kind of number. Kyle Filipowski was plus 20. Tyrus Proctor was plus 16, but they played like twice as many minutes of Derek Lively. For him to have a plus 17 in 12 minutes shows you what an impact he was having. And it was mostly on the defensive end. He hasn't been that useful on offense yet. And so if he's delivering value, it must be at the defensive end. And I think that that is that's a key to getting him more comfortable with his role on this team. Maybe, you know, maybe he's just going to feel better being a defensive specialist, at least for this year. And I know that after the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about the NBA draft and stuff. But, um, you know, for for Lively and for Duke fans, we have to be thinking of this as like a week to week thing. He can't be he can't be thinking about the draft yet, even if even if we want to talk about it. Well, Sam, that was the perfect tease to get us to where we're going next. We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back. Where is Derek Lively? Where is Derek Whitehead? What are these guys doing in terms of mock drafts? We got some brand new mock drafts that were just released. We'll talk about them in just a moment. All right, guys, we're back from the break, and we want to just very quickly, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because it's a little absurdly early for it, but we want to talk a little bit about the NBA draft. And look, I know, believe me, I'm like all of you. And I have this fantasy that everybody's coming back. They're not coming back. That's just the reality. It's it's not going to happen. Wait, and... whose fantasy is that? Because I don't, I, I, I assume <laughs> these days that, that they're all gone. Uh, that... Oh, there's, there's the reality we've all accepted. There's the fantasy we all hope for. If you don't, if you're not hoping if you don't think it'd be great that Derek Whitehead and Derek Lively and Jeremy Roach and Mark Mitchell and Kyle Filipowski all returned to, and and Tyrese Proctor all returned to Duke, you're crazy. I'd love Look, to see Derek that Lively should be benched in favor of Vernon Carey right now. So <laughs> exactly right, exactly. <laughs> in Vernon any event, can you imagine Vernon Carey would average forty-seven points a game? <laughs> it'd be fun. And and uh, last uh, what is it? Last year we would have won our third title in a row with Zion, something like that. I think so. Mm-hmm. In in any event. Uh, both the athletic and sports illustrated released brand new mock drafts today. And I wanted to, I say today, folks, you're probably listening to this on Friday. We're recording this on Thursday. So if, if you're like, wait, I heard about that yesterday, bear with us, understand the, the limits of, uh, of time travel on podcasts in any event, brand new mock drafts came out. And I just wanted to mention where the Duke guys are in these mock drafts, because I think it's interesting and indicative of perhaps what we can expect from them in terms of decisions in the athletic Sam Vicini who's as good as anybody there is out there at, at mock drafting and such did, did a, by the way, both of these are full drafts. They do both a first round and a second round. He has Derek Whitehead going number 10. I know a lot of people thought that Whitehead's stock had slipped a lot, Vecini had him lower earlier. He's back up to number 10. He really thinks that Derek Whitehead has been playing like himself lately and that the NBA sees a lot to like there. He has Kyle Filipowski going number 29, just at the very end of the first round. We can talk about, you know, I think that's the kind of spot where Filipowski may think he might want to come back rather than risk not being a first rounder. We'll see. And Sam Vecini has Derek Lively going number 33. He does not mention any other Dukies. 
He doesn't have Mark Mitchell, Tyrese Proctor, Jeremy Roach, who are the other guys that sort of talked about. None of them go in his second round. Sports Illustrated has Whitehead going 17, a little bit lower than The Athletic does. Has Kyle Filipowski 22, a little bit higher than The Athletic does. Has Derek Lively 26, again, a little bit higher and at that end of the first round. And there have been a lot of draft analysts who say, yeah, Lively's, no matter what happens this year, Lively's still a first rounder. But the really interesting thing, SI has Mark Mitchell going number 25. Again, the Athletic doesn't even have Mitchell in the second round. Sports Illustrated has Mark Mitchell toward the back end of the first round. By the way, no one has Tyrese Proctor. No one has Jeremy Roach going anyplace yet. Yeah, so there is also a Bleacher Report uh, mock draft. This wasn't as recent as yours. I think it was from the first of the year, first or second of the year. And it was the first one that I have seen that had Derek Lively outside of the first round. I had him going like 36 to the Lakers, um, you know, fill in the teams with whatever, right? We're talking about kind of just general frames of picks, but, you know, it, it brings up an interesting conversation of, you know, we've compared him so much to the trajectory of Mark Williams and how, you know, as a freshman, Mark Williams at this point in the year was not, was barely seeing the bench, much less the floor and turned into a, you know, a, a lottery pick really. Right. So uh, is that the trajectory by, Derek Lively staying another year and blossoming hopefully into the player that we all thought he was going to be. And, 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 you know, the person that everyone believed was the number one person in this draft class. But I, I think first of all, the mock drafts are called mock drafts for a reason because some of them are terrible and we can mock them, but some of them do give a good insight as to what, you know, what we can, what we're looking at here and who these guys are trying to compare themselves to at the end of the day, Ladies and gentlemen, you have to remember that it's not necessarily about these players. It's about the teams. And as long as these teams see upside and potential or whatever superlatives that they want to see in these players, these players will go in those slots. You, you'll you you'll hear as we get closer to draft, you're going to hear talk like, you know, insert player. We'll say Derek Lively again, for example. Derek Lively's not getting past 10 because the Lakers are so high at him that they're not they're not going to let him go. Right. So no matter what, it does not matter if you think he's the 10th best player in the in the draft or that he should be drafted by the Lakers. If a team wants him at a particular moment, they're going to go get him or they may even trade him to get him. So while this is cool and this is I mean, the, the numbers that you presented, Jason, aren't aren't mocks. We don't have to mock them, but it is interesting to kind of compare where they're at right now compared to other guys in college basketball. And also, you know, the factoring in of the guys from abroad. But also it really I mean, at this point it's great to kind of see those numbers because it, you know, up until now, most people have considered this draft, the, you know, the Victor women, sweepstakes, maybe scoot Henderson, but those are the only two players that are really being talked about in this draft one and two, this will go to show that you could get a player as good as a Kyle Filipowski, as good as the Drake Whitehead lower in the draft and make this a very worthy draft for your NBA team. The interesting thing to me, looking at this from the Duke perspective is to also consider who's coming in for Duke next season. Going into this year, we talked to well, we talked amongst ourselves and we talked to Kyle Filipowski about the possibility of him coming back. And when you look at Duke's recruits for next year, you can almost see that John Shire left a space on the roster for Filipowski to to stick around. I'm not sure if that means that he needs to play more in the post with Mackenzie Mbako and Sean Stewart on the team, but Duke doesn't have a center coming in. The interesting thing now as we look at it in mid-January is that Kyle Filipowski has raised his ceiling enormously this season. How much higher can he go 
than in the mid twenties, you know, with his skill set. And then on the flip side, Derek Lively was expected to be a top ten pick coming into this season, has fallen apart both, I think, because of injuries and because of his performance on the court. Does does Derek Lively now like is there a world now where Kyle Filipowski says, you know what? I've I've done all I've demonstrated all that I probably can in college in terms of my NBA potential, and I'm gonna go. And Derek Lively decides I'm coming back to to become the best defender in the country and let Mbako and Stewart take over all the scoring. And I'm just not going to worry about it so that I can rebuild my stock and maybe be a lottery pick next year. There is, I mean, I, I, I don't know that that's a likely outcome here, but it's definitely something interesting. And then the other player that is affected by that, Jason, you mentioned that Mark Mitchell is either not present or, or very low on these mock drafts. There is not space. I don't think for, for Mark Mitchell, on this roster next year, if Mbako and Stewart are as advertised, because there are just too many big wings that that Duke has to fit into the rotation. So I almost feel like Mark Mitchell's the one that has the most pressure to leave. Whitehead, I think we were we were expecting him to leave regardless. He was he was too highly rated. And in recent weeks, especially, he's demonstrated more of the flashes of that ability. So he can get drafted on potential even if he doesn't become Duke's go-to player this year. Mitchell is the one who I feel like is going to get squeezed out regardless of exactly where his draft position is. So I'm not just looking at the production of the Duke guys here. I'm looking at the team next year. The other thing, Jason, before I give it back to you to consider in this is that once upon a time, it was automatic that you would say, all right, I'm Mark Mitchell. There are other big wings coming in next year. Mackenzie Mbako is like is considered a better pro prospect than I am. I'm not getting the ball enough. I'm not getting enough opportunities next year to stick around. So I probably have to go. The change now is that Mark Mitchell can make a decent amount of sponsorship money staying at Duke. And so you wonder if those if those dynamics change things at all. A couple of years ago, DJ Stewart was like, I don't know if I'm getting drafted, but I'm out of here. And and you know the, the, the same thing has happened to a few Duke guys who have sort of underperformed in their year in college, but were like, whatever, I just have to make this work. Now things work a little bit differently. So does that benefit John Shire for next year? I don't know, but I'm thinking about it that way. So I think, first of all, your Lively or Filipowski question is moot. I I think I think Derek Lively is turning pro. I don't think there's any chance that, that he comes back to Duke. I, I know we can talk all about the fact that he hasn't been the player we expected him to be. I don't think it matters. I think Derek Lively's turning pro. I think Derek Whitehead's turning pro. Those aren't even up for discussion or conversation, in my opinion. The conversations are around Kyle Filipowski, who, like you, like we've said, is you know currently looking like a late twenties kind of pick or early thirties, and and does he maybe decide to come back? Um, Mark Mitchell, and and I disagree with you about one thing, Sam, and then I'll get it over to Donald because I know Donald wants to talk about this. I think that if Mark Mitchell decides to come back. I don't know that he's going to be like, oh, no, I'm competing with Sean Stewart and Mackenzie Mbako. Uh, I think there's a very real chance that a sophomore Mark Mitchell, who's already played a year of college basketball, is more established than either of those guys are. Maybe not Mbako. Mbako is a pretty special talent. But I, I, I think that Mark Mitchell plays ahead of a Sean Stewart next year. And I think Mark Mitchell would be a really key, really impressive player if he decides to come back for his sophomore year. I'm not sure he's going to, but but I think that's, I don't know that competing with another guy who's a freshman coming in 
is something that Mark Mitchell worries about too much when he's thinking about his pro and his draft prospects. Also, you have to consider the fact, at least we'll go back to Kyle Filipowski, right? There's also the fact that Ryan Young has another year of eligibility. You know, he seems like he's been in college for 47 years, but he has one more year of eligibility. That may factor into plans, but also I, it's it's weird, right? We, it, we're in the mind state where you have people who want guys to stay, but yet and still we have to have this conversation about if they come back, will they play as much as they need to? Will they? And and because there's another stud freshman that's coming in. So I think it's interesting that we have to have that discussion at the same time while, you know, we have these other discussions in forums and with our friends about, man, all these kids end up leaving and I want them to stay at the end of the day. Everyone can't stay. Everyone. We'd love to have, you know, 97 guys on the Duke basketball team, but we just can't. And at the end of the day, they have to end up making decisions. It's about making the right decision for them. And we can always opine, but we can't make that for them. We In the end, it's got to be them. There's another element of this that's different than years past, which is that when Coach K was in charge here, he got he had all the best intel, right? He knows all these NBA guys. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's NBA people coming in and out of Duke all the time. And so they've got a pretty good read on everybody's status. And there were some guys who have left Duke after their one year. And Coach K was like, I don't know if this is the best move, but like, if you want to do it, then we support you. John Shire, I don't think, has as many contacts in the NBA as Coach K did, or at least not at the same level. But John Shire knows a lot of players in the NBA. He knows a lot of executives and has probably more of a peer-type relationship with them, right? Like, he knows Trajan Langdon in a different way than, than Coach K knows Trajan Langdon. John Shire also relates to the players in a very different way than Coach K did. And so maybe the example of Mark Mitchell is going to be the most interesting one in this offseason, Jason, as you mentioned. Like, Mitchell's looking, he's looking at the draft and he's saying, okay, I I don't think I'm getting, like, there's almost no way I'm getting picked in the first round, but I can have conversations with these teams and, and John Shire can help facilitate that and Jay Lucas can help facilitate that. I also know there's these other guys coming in and I imagine that Mark Mitchell can probably have a more honest conversation with John Shire about, you know, where do I slot in next year? What do I need to do to get 12 shots a game uh, relative to what I, you know, how do I, how do I demonstrate improvement from last year? I, it feels to me like it's a little bit more of a player's program now with, with Shire at the helm than it did with coach K. And so we'll see what happens, you know, come April, May, June, the way that Mark Mitchell is talking about this sort of thing, or maybe the way that Kyle Filipowski is talking about this, because I bet that it'll be a a much more open conversation to, to the point that Brendan Marks made when he was here on, on the program a few weeks ago. Everything's a little bit more open with the Duke basketball program now, and so I wonder if we're going to hear more about how John Shire is working with the players and talking publicly about how the decision process is going to go such that there aren't hard feelings. I think the thing that we were most worried about, at least that I was worried about during the coach K years that overlapped with one and done, which is when we've been doing this show is that guys sometimes leave and then sort of have a sour taste in their mouths. You know, they get the, they get the Will Avery treatment from, Mm -hmm. from coach K. I don't think that's happening anymore under John Shire. It's not. not. So it's going to feel, it's going to feel, I think pretty different when when spring rolls around and all these guys are making decisions, hopefully we get to hear more about it because it's very interesting to see this part of the process. I, I think you're right in the fact that, you know, 
I, I think that Duke is still going to have those connections, right? Those pipelines and maybe a different approach of how we get them. Like, for example, I, I don't think Coach K was making all of these calls. People were calling Coach K to offer their opinion. Unsol- like, yep. hey, your, your boy is starting to talk about going pro. Let me give you some advice from, from our perspective, right? John Shire initially may have to make a couple of those calls, right? Instead of receiving them. But ain't nobody going to just sit there and leave Duke out in the cold as opposed for, for purposes of letting them know about the drop staff. I think that status is always going to be there and that those connections will always be there. Even, even if you, it, it, Sam, as you said, if it's going to be via peer to peer interaction, like through some of the guys who are still kind of playing um, or, or if it's guys that are on the younger end of scale, but like, Look, Grant Hill is going to offer his opinion in, in if he needs to. Uh, Billy King is going to offer his opinion if he needs to. Trajan Link is going to offer his opinion if he needs to. But that uh, those those that information is always going to be there in the Duke program. Uh, look, we've talked about a lot of guys, and and it feels like the big decisions are probably maybe Filipowski, maybe Mark Mitchell. I think the biggest decision may be Tyrese Proctor. We haven't even mentioned his name at all. Uh, you want to talk about competition next year, Caleb Foster. Jared McCain, both come into this program. Both are, you know, point guard, combo guards, very similar to Tyrese Proctor. Jalen Blakes will be back for another year, and he's shown that he is a valuable player who's going to be a part of the rotation in that backcourt. I think Jeremy Roach is gone. I don't, I don't, we don't need to have the discussion. I don't think he's getting drafted, but I don't think it matters. I think Jeremy Roach has put in three years and has decided he wants to be a pro, and that's fine. But I think Tyrese Proctor is one of the most interesting decisions that Duke's going to have. And Jason, doesn't a part of you kind of want Proctor and or Roach to come back to try to play with those guys and oh yeah have Duke absolutely like like much more up and down. like one of the problems this year with the Duke team is that they're sort of forced to play slowly because John Shire doesn't have that much depth in the backcourt if he doesn't trust Jaden shoot enough to like really play him any minutes I don't think that Jacob Grandison has been quite as good as John Shire thought he was going to be coming and he's into not a ball season. handler Grandison's not a ball handler yeah. and so next year if if you have McCain, um, you know, and and you have Foster, and you bring back a Tyrese Proctor and a, a Jalen Blakes, let's let, like let's say that Roach is the only one that leaves. You have four guys who can credibly maybe handle the ball. One of them might have to be the starting, like one of them has to be the starting point guard. But you have a lot more flexibility on the perimeter, and you almost want to see what John Shire would do with a team that really has four or five ready ACC level one and two maybe three guards. Duke has been really focused on on having like a big man dominated lineup the last few years because they've had, you know, dudes this year like like Kyle Filipowski and like Derek Lively is supposed to be like Vernon Carey was recently for Duke and and Paula Bancara last year. I wonder and, if that changes and, next year. And, and Mark Williams and uh and Jalen yeah, Johnson. Tons, right. Yeah, we we've been so many big, big factory men. lately. Yeah. But but if you go back to to days when Duke was very like point guard and and wing dominated it could be a very different look for the program i'm sort of excited for that possibility even if i realize that it's probably a pipe dream (laughs) all right well we could clearly continue talking about this forever and i think that come uh may april may june we will be talking about it extensively it will be a uh it'll be our primary topic of conversation were you trying to say come what may or come in may In any event, uh, that's going to wrap it up for us on this edition of the DBR podcast. Donald and Sam, thanks for joining me. I am Jason. I'm not even going to tell you all the email address. We've been telling you the email address. I don't want to anymore because we're getting so many emails. It's like, it's crazy. 
I'm kidding. We love when we get emails. We're responding to them. We enjoy hearing from all of you. We're getting lots of interesting theories and comments. Write to us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. That's we'll tarheelblog at gmail.com, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. What's the no. what's the Clemson what's the Clemson site? Uh something about uh touching cat's the rock or something? or something like that. I don't know. No, cat's yeah. paws, that's Kentucky. Oh, you're right. Yeah. You have uh, to know that. Don't one. email them either. Don't email don't, they actually uh if you Oh if yeah, you, you should email them. <laughs> definitely email Cat's Paws these days. They would love to hear from you. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, if uh oh boy, we could have a whole podcast talking about how Kentucky's struggling this year. John Calipari heading to Texas perhaps. Anyway, all right. Whoa. We're done. Are I'm you Jason. breaking are you breaking that news here? <laughs> I am not breaking as, that news. I is it a done that, deal? It's not. I'm Jason. Jason Winhorse here. He's Donald. <laughs> This is the Duke Band to play us out and take us home. Good job, Jason Woj Evans. <laughs> <laughs>